0: Welcome to Dharma Conversations, where each week we explore topics to better understand ourselves, the world around us, and our place in it. We hope these conversations create wellsprings of reflection and insight in your own life and practice, and we look forward to you joining us in the conversation. On today's episode we're going to be discussing the Mahayana teachings or the second turning of the wheel of Dharma. We're going to be looking at some of the key points of these teachings and then taking a closer look at why these teachings are meaningful to our own practice. In the first episode, I talked about the Buddha's journey of self-discovery and how he was able to achieve complete awakening by gaining insight into dependent origination and actualizing the state of cessation. The Buddha saw that there were others on this journey of self-discovery, but that they weren't actually fulfilling their aims because they were struggling with either living a life of indulgence or being much too harsh to themselves. So in order to help them, the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths and the path of the Middle Way free from extremes. In the teachings of the first turning of the Wheel of Dharma, the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths, laying a foundation and framework by which all of his teachings could be understood. In the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha identified the three poisons of attachment, aversion, and ignorance as the origin of all suffering. The Buddha's instruction was to let go of the truth of the origin, so that we could actualize or behold the truth of cessation. Letting go of attachment and aversion seem rather straightforward, much more so than letting go of ignorance. We can tell when we are reacting to our experience, when we are trying to hold on to something or trying to push something away. So the instruction to let go seems useful when dealing with our reactivity. The idea of letting go of ignorance on the other hand seems a bit counterintuitive because how can we really let go of something like ignorance? It's important that we start out by being really clear about what we mean by ignorance or confusion. Ignorance, or in the Tibetan marigpa, literally means a state of not knowing or being unaware. What we are unaware of is the nature of the self and the world around us we mistakenly conceive of the self as independent and autonomous as the basis for all our experience that continues from moment to moment we have the sense that we are the primary actor or protagonist who is the main character in the story of our lives and the narrative of our life revolves around this conceived sense of self this is what the buddha is encouraging us to let go and abandon This confused notion of grasping to the self as independent and truly existing. Letting go of this grasping to a self as truly existing is not easy. Currently, we do not see our true nature. It is not clearly visible to us that we even have a true nature. An example that we could use to illustrate the difficulty of letting go of ignorance and self-grasping would be that of an unhealthy adult who eats a lot of saturated fats and processed foods and doesn't exercise. The doctor telling that person that their diet and lifestyle are contributing to their poor health and increasing their risk of heart disease isn't likely to change their behavior or put them into a state of health. It is rather difficult to overcome those bad habits and social conditioning. That person may know that they are contributing to their own suffering and poor health, but they don't readily see an alternative way of living or behaving, especially under times of stress. In the same way having a mistaken perception of the self pointed out to us isn't likely to eradicate our ignorance or confusion. We need to actually do the work necessary to eliminate the contributing factors which continue to perpetuate that ignorance. My point here is that knowing is not enough to let go of ignorance because we need a way of seeing that replaces that confused perception. You know, when I was in fifth grade, I got glasses for the first time. When I walked out of the eye doctors, I looked up at the sky and asked my mom, what are all those wires up there? She kind of looked at me quizzically and and said, you mean the power lines? The lack of clarity in my vision obscured the presence of the power lines. Not seeing them, why would I ever think that they were there? Once my vision was restored, immediately upon seeing the power lines and having them identified, I understood. And my ignorance about the power lines was completely illuminated. In the same way, when we see the resultant state clearly, the blindness of ignorance is removed. When we see clearly, we may still need to rely on someone to point out what is actually in front of us. We may need to rely on a person with clear vision who can indeed point out what is true about that state, since they themselves know it firsthand. This is perhaps a better way to understand how we can let go of ignorance in our own practice. The point I'm trying to make here is that knowing is not enough to get rid of ignorance. It is not enough to simply study or read the teachings. We need to actually do the work and have the experience of letting go of attachment, aversion, and ignorance, and seeing what is on the other side after those have been let go. If there's no clear seeing on the other side of the three poisons, then we haven't actually managed to escape the sphere of confusion or ignorance. This process of letting go of the truth of the origin and clearly seeing the truth of cessation is very important in the context of our own meditation and practice. In the teachings of the first turning, the Buddha broke down the self by teaching the five skandhas or aggregates that make up our physical and mental elements of our experience. The five skandhas are form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. These five skandhas form the basis for all of our experience from the Buddhist perspective. In this way, he revealed the wisdom of selflessness as well as the path to the cessation of suffering. This teaching on the selflessness of the person was presented in the teachings of the first turning of the wheel of Dharma in a sutra called the Anattalakana Sutra, which is translated as the Discourse on Not-Self. In that sutra, the Buddha says, Monks, form is not self, feeling is not self, perception is not self, mental formations are not self, consciousness is not self. Seeing thus, the well-instructed disciple of the Noble Ones grows disenchanted with form, disenchanted with feeling, disenchanted with perception, disenchanted with fabrications, disenchanted with consciousness, disenchanted he becomes dispassionate. Through dispassion, he is fully released. In another sutra from the Samyutta Nikaya, the Buddha states that ignorance is the source of all craving. From the Parilayaka Sutra, the Buddha says, To an uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person, touched by which is felt, born of contact with ignorance, craving arises. That ignorance is inconstant, fabricated, dependently co-arisen." The Buddha makes the case that the five skhanas are not the self, but that our conception of the self is dependent on the five skhanas, which we mistakenly conceive of as a self. In the same way, the Buddha shows that letting go of this mistaken conception of the self, we can actually abandon our craving and ignorance and actualize the truth of cessation. The teachings of the second turning of the wheel of Dharma don't depart from the teachings on the first turning. The understanding of the letting go of the truth of the origin and actualizing the abiding reality of the truth of cessation, become more subtle and profound in the second turning. The basis for the second turning of the Wheel of Dharma are the Prajnaparamita Sutras. The 8,000 verse Prajnaparamita Sutra is the earliest known version of these sutras, dated from around 100 BC. This was later expanded into the 10,000, 18,000, 25,000, and 100,000 verse sutras all of which bear close resemblance to the 8,000 verse sutra, but expand on abbreviated sections. The shorter Prajnaparamita sutras include the Heart Sutra, which is also called the 25 verse sutra, as well as the Diamond Sutra, or the 300 verse sutra. The Heart Sutra is probably the most widespread of the Prajnaparamita sutras. We can see in the Heart Sutra how the understanding of the truth of the origin becomes more subtle and profound than in the first turning. Remember, in the first turning, we talked about letting go of reactivity and self-grasping in order to realize the wisdom of the truth of cessation. In the second turning, we find Avalokitesvara exploring this even further in the Heart Sutra, where it says, At that time, the Blessed One entered the meditative absorption on the varieties of phenomena called the appearance of the profound. At that time as well, the noble Avalokitesvara, the Bodhisattva, the Great Being, clearly beheld the practice of the profound perfection of wisdom and saw that even the five aggregates are empty of intrinsic existence. The Heart Sutra starts by stating that the Buddha entered into meditative absorption called the appearance of the profound. Profound here is emptiness, the appearance of emptiness, which is the truth of cessation. It is profound because it is not easily realized, because it is beyond concepts and ideas about how things exist. In the first turning, we use the five skandhas to uproot self-grasping. But here, Avalokitesvara is saying that even the five skandhas or aggregates are empty of intrinsic existence. The teachings of the second turning examine not only the selflessness of the person, but also the selflessness of all phenomena. In order for bodhisattvas who aspire to realize this perfection of wisdom, Shariputra and Avalokitesvara engage in this discussion On how to practice the perfection of wisdom. Avlokitesvara expands on the practice, saying bodhisattvas should see clearly in this way. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Emptiness is not other than form. Form, too, is not other than emptiness. This famous verse describes the middle way free from extremes. We should analyze that form is empty of inherent existence, eliminating the extreme of eternalism or existence. We should also analyze that emptiness is form, eliminating the extreme of nihilism or non-existence. The last two verses reiterate this union of appearance and emptiness. In order to clarify the view of emptiness as presented in the Prajnaparamita Sutras, Nagarjuna wrote his famous mula karika or the fundamental verses of the Middle Way. In it, he presents the teachings on the two truths, relative truth and ultimate truth, so that we can eliminate doubt and uncertainty about the view of emptiness. In Nagarjuna's Mula-madhyamaka Karika, he says, "The Buddhist teachings of the Dharma are based on two truths: a truth of worldly convention and an ultimate truth. Those who do not understand the distinction between these two truths do not understand the Buddhist profound teaching." Without depending on the conventional, the meaning of the ultimate cannot be taught. Without understanding the meaning of the ultimate, nirvana is not achieved. Nagarjuna's presentation of the two truths reveal our confusion about the way things appear versus the way that they actually exist. Things appear very solid, concrete, and independent. We think of ourselves as independent and autonomous. But if you examine the nature of the self and of phenomena, you find that the self is actually dynamic, connected, and interdependent. The relative truth is that phenomena really appear to exist. When I see a car, I can say that it exists relatively. Upon analysis, however, if I start to examine that car and investigate how that car is made, I find that it is just a bunch of different pieces, none of which themselves have any kind of carness to them. So ultimately, the car does not truly exist it only exists so much that it is dependently arisen. The relative truth relates to the apparent aspect of phenomena, and the ultimate truth relates to the emptiness aspect of phenomena. These two truths rely on each other and are inseparable from each other, just like two sides of a single coin. Because phenomena are dependently arisen, they are empty of inherent existence. The wisdom of this view of dependent origination Is that we can start to understand the nature of the self and the nature of reality without reaching for absolutes. Traditionally there are four great arguments of the midyamaka or middle way that logically establish all phenomena as being empty of inherent existence. Nagarjuna's famous tetralemma forms the basis for what is called the Vajra splinter argument and refutes production or arising from any of the four alternatives. In this first verse of the Mula Midyamaka Karika he says neither from itself nor from another, nor from both, nor without a cause, does anything anywhere ever arise. It is worth mentioning that Nagarjuna likely derived this Tetralemma from the Asala Sutra, in which the Buddha addresses a naked ascetic who is asking these questions about how suffering comes to exist. And I'll link to that in the show notes just so you guys have a reference. For our purposes, the easiest and perhaps best method of establishing emptiness is the argument of great interdependence. This king of reasonings includes all the other logical arguments because it examines the seemingly real appearances of dependent origination. According to the middle way, as presented by Nagarjuna, all the illusory appearances of dependent origination and emptiness arise as the union of the relative and ultimate truths. Again, in the mula Mudyamaka Karika, Nagarjuna says, that which is dependent origination Is explained to be emptiness. That, being a dependent designation, is itself the middle way. There does not exist anything that is not dependently arisen. Therefore, there does not exist anything that is not empty. Nagarjuna makes it clear that whatever is dependently originated is empty of inherent existence. Form is emptiness. To be dependently originated and to have some kind of independent existence are logical contradictions that cannot be maintained once they're revealed. The wisdom of the two truths illuminates our confusion about how phenomena exist versus how they appear to us. This simple insight that all phenomena arise dependently based on causes and conditions reveals the nature of suffering, how that suffering arises, and whether we are able to illuminate it, as well as the actual path to be free from suffering. The Nagarjuna goes on to say, Whoever sees dependent arising also sees suffering, and its origin, and its cessation, as well as the path. For whom emptiness makes sense, everything makes sense. For whom emptiness does not make sense, nothing makes sense. So the correct view of emptiness is not that complicated. Logically, we can see that it is relatively easy to establish that all phenomena are empty of inherent existence by using this argument of dependent origination. If we can show that things are dependently originated, then by showing them to be dependently originated, we're also showing them to be empty of inherent existence. But to fully appreciate this profound wisdom, we have to move beyond a simple intellectual understanding, beyond mere logic and conceptual analysis. We need to apply this view of emptiness to our own mind and our own experience. Just like it says in the Heart Sutra, we need to meditate on the appearance of the profound. There's a wonderful quote by the second Sharmapa that makes these two truths relevant to our own meditation and experience. He says, Whatever is appearing right now is the relative. Letting that settle, just as it is, is the ultimate. My own teacher, Yonke Kaccha Rinpoche, encourages us to apply the two truths to our own mind and experience. For this is truly the doorway to the perfection of wisdom. It is not necessary to undergo extensive philosophical or logical analysis. We simply need to carry a direct understanding of the union of dependent origination and emptiness, or appearance and emptiness, into our own meditation. Focusing on our own mind, Kacchab teaches the view of emptiness with five features, which we find in the Lalita Vistara Sutra, where it says, profound, peaceful stainless lucid and uncompounded such is the nectar-like truth that i have realized by recognizing this view of emptiness with five features in our own meditation and relying on the unit of samatha and vipassana or calm abiding and insight we can enter into meditative absorption on the appearance of the profound and realize the perfection of wisdom the very essence of the prajnaparamita teachings in this way we can truly behold the truth of cessation and actualize the resultant state. So remember our instructions from episode one on the the truth of the origin, where we said, let go of attachment, aversion, and ignorance. As we learn to let go of our fixation and grasping in meditation, we start to gradually behold the truth of cessation. What we are seeing or realizing is the view of emptiness with these five features. So first, the view of emptiness is profound, meaning it is beyond concepts, beyond analysis, or conventional understanding. Realization of emptiness is inconceivable, or we could say it's ineffable. It's profound because it is difficult to attain freedom from the extremes of it is and it is not. The antidote to the ignorance of self-grasping is the wisdom of emptiness, but a conceptual understanding is insufficient. We need to come to a direct realization of this state of cessation through our own practice. Next, this view of emptiness is peaceful. The state of cessation is the ceasing of all thoughts, emotions, craving, and fabrications. Cutting through layer after layer of attachment and craving, we come to rest in a state free of all reactivity. These layers of grasping and fixation are difficult to let go of, but the resultant state of cessation is naturally peaceful and calm. Next, this view of emptiness is stainless, meaning that is completely free of attachment, aversion, and and ignorance. There is no grasping to the relative truth of appearances, but rather we see clearly the union of the two truths. This idea of being stainless is that there is no flaw to be removed, no obscuring factor that is staining our vision. Fundamentally, that stain is the truth of the origin, so we can say that stainless means that the truth of the origin has been completely removed. Next, this view of emptiness is luminous clarity. The mind is not simply empty or avoid nothingness. It also has this quality of luminous clarity. It is the basis for the arising of all of our experience, whether we describe those experiences as the experiences of samsara or nirvana. Although the mind's nature is empty, the world of phenomenal experience appears based on the infinite play of dependent origination. Emptiness is form or in relation to our experience of meditation, we can say that emptiness is clarity, or emptiness is appearance. Lastly, this view of emptiness is uncompounded, meaning that it is unproduced, beyond transition or change. It is not the subject of arising, therefore it is not subject to ceasing. In the Prajnaparamita prayer, we find this, quote, unborn, unceasing, with a real nature like the sky. When we talk about unborn here, we are referencing the emptiness aspect of appearances. From the perspective of emptiness, there is no true arising, for what is appearing does not truly exist from its own side. We are simply witnessing the play of dependent origination, the unceasing play of unborn appearances in all their variety. To come into birth would mean that in some way we are fixating on the relative aspect of the appearance, or on the relative truth of the apparent aspect not appreciating the empty aspect or the ultimate truth. So this is a subtle point and one that we can really only discern in our meditation practice. But it's really important that we try to understand uh, this meaning of uncompounded or unborn, unproduced. So these five aspects of emptiness introduce us to the nature of our own mind from the perspective of the middle way. Now we can summarize and connect the teachings of the first and second turning of the Wheel of Dharma in a very useful and systematic way. So remember in the first episode, we discussed the essence of the Four Noble Truths as Understand Dukkha, the truth of suffering. Let go of attachment, aversion, and ignorance, the truth of the origin. Actualize the truth of cessation. Practice the middle way free from extremes. With the insight and understanding of dependent origination and the two truths that we have gained today from the second turning of the wheel, we can better understand how to actually let go of the truth of the origin. By understanding the two truths, we can let go of our mistaken conception of the self and phenomena as truly existing, and we can understand that while phenomena appear based on dependent origination, they do not truly exist because they are conditioned. It is not enough, however, to leave this as a conceptual understanding of dependent origination and emptiness. We need to bring this into our own experience in order to actualize the truth of cessation. For this, we discuss the view of emptiness with five features and how we can recognize the resultant state of cessation in our own practice. In our own practice, as we learn to let go of fixation and grasping, slowly we start to find a place of natural rest and equanimity. From the seat of equanimity, we can apply the instruction to see whatever is appearing right now as their relative truth, and letting that settle just as it is, as the ultimate. As we gain familiarity with this in our meditation, slowly the view of emptiness with five features dawns, and we can recognize the state of cessation and the nature of our own mind. So we covered a lot of ground here today, and I kind of rushed through uh, the teachings of the second turning of the wheel of Dharma, which are incredibly vast and profound. To get a better understanding of these teachings, it would be really helpful for you to study uh, the Heart Sutra, which forms the basis for understanding these teachings of the perfection of wisdom. The Dalai Lama has a great commentary that's very approachable called The Essence of the Heart Sutra, which I'll link to in the show notes. Almost any Buddhist text that you pick up is going to address topics of dependent origination and the two truths. You could go into a deep dive of these topics by studying the Madhyamaka texts of Nagarjuna, Chandrakirti, and Shantarakshita, but it's not totally necessary from the perspective of practice. If you are able to apply these teachings of the two truths and dependent origination to your own practice, you can develop a very deep and profound understanding of these topics without having done a lot of study. And if you do study these teachings at a later time, you'll have some basis of experience to actually reflect on. So in no way is this a sufficient summary of the Mahayana tradition or the, or the teachings of the second turning of the wheel. This is a poor attempt to provide some context for understanding these teachings and how they relate to practice. I intend on going into each of these topics in more detail in, in future episodes, so I appreciate you taking the time to listen today. I hope that in some way you can see how these teachings of the first and second turning of the wheel rely on each other and build on each other. The teachings of the Mahayana do not depart the teachings of the Noble truths. Rather, they rely on the original teachings of the Buddha and take us to a much deeper and more direct understanding of the teachings. Thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions, please click on the link in the show notes. I'll be adding all of the references I mentioned today in the show notes. And please tune in to upcoming episodes, where we will be continuing our exploration of this journey to awakening. Thank you.